predict when a lady is going to give birth. Which means there's certain things that happen very often, more than an eclipse. Right, right. Eclipse happens once every who knows when. After the 30 day window. Exactly. Even the biggest doctor, with all the technology that they have, and all the sonogram, you know, he cannot tell you that the baby's going to come out at 9.53. Even though they can tell you when the eclipse is going to happen. The eclipse, they tell you, 9.53, 6 seconds. So you see that even though certain things are predictable, certain other things that are very common are not predictable. So therefore, not everything is, uh, is, is based on the science. That shows you that there must be somebody that's revealed certain things, and certain things he didn't reveal. So when it came to eclipses, he said, okay, I'll let you know when they're going to happen. I'll let you know. But when it came to other things, they can't predict the weather <coughs> from day to day. Elliot, you're aware that they cannot predict the weather from day to day. Are you kidding me? They're way off all the time. They call forecasters. Yeah. But they cannot forecast. And I was right. That's unbelievable. They miss certain and things. they that, have billions of dollars. That's of right. That's right. And they miss uh, storms, northeaster. Look they at miss the other it. day with the snow there. I like didn't you? <laughs> 500 snow plows. A little rain. Yeah, down. that's right. That's right. You saw what they did? So that just shows you that with all the science that they have and the technology, they can't understand there's something of force behind it that's really causing all these things to happen. And a lot of times they get blindsided and they get shamed. But us who believe, so if it's going to happen, so that, 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 that's the basis of uh, these guys that are making the Siyuma Shas on January 1st, whatever they're doing. You know, if you believe in uh, that God runs the world and you believe that Torah is important, and you believe that this is a big spiritual event, so therefore you don't make the hajbon of, uh, you know, how cold it's going to be and what's the weather going to be. But if you're, uh, they, 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 I told you the last time, the last time at the Siyum Shas that they did it, we were there. We were there. I was actually the first car in the parking lot. Really? Of 90,000 people, I was the first car. How many hours in advance you were? Many. I took my boys and said, oh, if, if you're the first one to a minyan, you get schar keneket kulam. So I said to myself, this is the biggest minyan we're going to have. So I want to be the first one. So I got there one o'clock in the afternoon. I don't care what I'm And I know I was the first one because they weren't set up yet. I, I waited at the gate. To let you in. And we have videos of me just making U-turns, riding around the parking lot when it was empty. Anyway, we got there. Now it was pouring rain. If you remember, it was pouring rain up until they started the event. All of a sudden, as they started the event... Yeah, when we're doing the barbecue, it was raining. Pour, pouring rain. The, they asked forecasters for CBS after the fact. He said, listen, it's hard to explain what happened that day from a, from a meteorological standpoint. He says there was rain on the left. There was rain on the right. Over MetLife, there was a break. He says, listen... If you would have asked me, the forecast was supposed to rain till 11.30 at night. I can't explain it. Then I heard from somebody, Rabbi Gifter's grandson is like a reporter. Rabbi Gifter's grandson interviewed the guy from CBS Weather. And the guy from CBS Weather said, he said, nah, it's hard to explain it according to the weather forecast because, you know, logic says it should have been a rain out. Okay, so... We believe that well, there's metaphysical things that are who's controlling these things. So uh, that's part of Shema Yisrael, Hashem Echad. Echad means 
that even though it looks like there's a lot of different competing energies, but all these energies are actually coming from one energy, which is Ehad. And that's why the, the, the force of nature sometimes seems so strong, because it's the force of God. So when you have a, a volcano that erupts, we have an earthquake. See, an earthquake shakes. The entire you know, west coast is shaking. They feel the tremors a thousand miles away. Who, who has the power to shake the earth? Which means, forget about shaking the earth. If you would uh, try to shake this building, you have to have 10,000 people jumping and jumping and jumping. And maybe somebody says, oh, it feels like the little, you feel nothing. And here, you're moving the whole world. Skyscrapers are shaking. Who has the energy to do that? So they come along, oh, the gods of the earthquake. They're angry. And if they bring them, a, you know, some, 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 some smoke, uh, you know, some ketoret in order to appease them. But those that believe in God say, no, his power's in the earth, his power's in the volcano, his power's in the storms, his power's in the... That's all the... Uh, of course, the, the, the gleam will come along. <clears throat> Since they can't say this publicly, so they refer to it as Mother Nature. They created a fictitious character called Mother Nature, and uh, they accredit all these phenomenons. There is a Mother Nature, but God's running the Mother Nature. Yeah, but they, they, they don't mention that. Yeah, imagine if you would watch the, 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 the news, and they would say, God is going to bring a snowstorm tomorrow night. Oh, God. So they say Mother Nature. Mother Nature really is a substitute for God. They can't say it. But that's ultimately what it is. So he comes along and says, who, second paragraph, There's also forces that we know that are clearly in the world, and those are called the forces of evil. Evil exists. See, here you run into a big problem. Because if you say, who's running the world? Why did he run evil? How does... How does evil have a place? So from the fact that they see evil, they come along and say, must be, God cannot control evil. Uh, they use the Holocaust as a big example. That if there was God in the world, how come God didn't stop it? How could God allow this uh, to happen? Ela must be that God doesn't have control over everything. And therefore certain things are out of his, uh, you know, uh, out of his... Uh, 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 you know, system of, of control. So he says, There's free will. People have free will to sin. That's also a problem. If God says this is forbidden, and you see people have a power to do what God said is forbidden. So it looks like that God's power is limited. Or certain punishes that punishments that happen. So you see things that happen in the world that look like they're against his will. It's a problem. So what does he say? So listen, Hashem only wants tov. And all uh, God wants to do is tov and metiv. 
והנה שמו יתברך מתחלל בשליטת הרשעים. Right? And then what happens? God's name becomes not sanctified, but desanctified when the Rishayim are controlling. How do you have a whole country like China that's atheists and they're one of the superpowers of the world and God gives them so much control and they have votes in the United Nations and they have uh, cohort. They're, they're, they're disbelievers. So the, the, the amateur can come along and say, so you see, Hashem's really not in control of everything because look how many people are able to rebel against Him and even as they're rebelling against Him, they're enjoying prosperity and they're enjoying all sorts of, uh, all sorts of blessings. <coughs> you know, God forbid when you see the hospital, you see the sick people in the hospital. Not every sick person in the hospital is a rasha. Some sick people are tzaddikim. So then the, the, uh, the skeptic can come along and say, ah, where's God? Obviously, doing mitzvot really doesn't mean anything because you see that the fate of the good man and the fate of the bad man is the same. They both ended up in the hospital in the same ward. So you're coming and teaching me all these years that no, the good man is... Uh, gets reward, the bad man gets punished here. <laughs> it's a good man and a bad man together, and they're suffering the same fate. He's asking on himself, Omnam, <laughs> These are deep uh, There's different movements that Hashem is moving in the world <coughs> in order to ultimately bring the good to be revealed. Take a simple Johnny. example. Take, take a simple example. Look at the Jews in Egypt. You didn't see Yitzhak Mitzrayim. As it's happening, it looks very, very, uh, very difficult. Jews are slaves for 200 years. Babies are dying. This is generational avdut. Not only that, you say, how could God, well, these are the children of Ram Yitzhak and Yaakov, how could they be under the thumb of uh, B'nai Ham? Where the Torah clearly said that Ham is going to be the slave of Shem. And here, B'nai Shem are under, I mean, look very, very, uh, very difficult. Now you fast forward it, ultimately what happened, B'nai Sale had to go through this system, in order to prepare themselves, at least from what we see from the naked eye, from Matan Torah. But the Arizal said that actually these were old souls. These were souls of Dora Mabu, these were souls of Dora Palaga. These are souls that sinned in previous generations and need to come back in order to make rectifications. The, gen- the souls of Dora Mabu, had to be drowned again. And the souls of Dora Palaga, they had to build buildings again. 
So there was a lot of tikkunim that were going on behind the surface. <clears throat> so if somebody would come along at that time and say, oh, you see, there's no God in the world. How could the Jews be saying? These are all sibibot. These are all mechanisms that Hashem is moving the world to a certain tikkun. And not always do we see the, the result. In Yisabbat's time, we saw the result. Which means even at the end, Paro, who was an atheist, said Hashem HaTzadik. He even came to the recognition of Yudke Vavke. And he says, Somehow, all this that you're seeing that looks like it's a contradiction is ultimately to reach the completion and the perfection of the Biriyah. <coughs> It's a very, very important lesson here. Ultimately, Hashem is the Menaheg. That you have to believe. Hashem is Menaheg, all these things over here. And it's Menaheg Be'emet. And that's the Atzab Hashem. And only God's uh, idea succeeds. And ultimately, it's all for the best. But to get to the good, it's got to go through, you know, a lot of uh, stages in order for it to get to the good. So you don't always see the end. You just see you're living through the middle of a process, but it's in order to bring... <coughs> right. It's, it's to bring the, the... You know what it would be like if you look at uh, when a lady's baking a, uh, a, uh, some recipe that she gets in the cookbook. Sometimes the cookbook, they put a picture of the item and it looks delicious. You know, some sort of souffle or whatever it may be, see the picture. Now you see the end, you see the picture. Now imagine you have a, a child in the kitchen with the mother, and the mother starts to whip up this souffle, and at that point it looks nothing like the picture. So the kid who's obviously doesn't know too much would say, Ma, you know, this is a flop. And the mother says, listen, you gotta go through this uh, stage eventually to get it to look like this. So the kid says, well, what does it taste like, this souffle? Oh, it's the delicious, the sweetest thing. So the kid cheats. In the middle of the process, he sticks his finger in the batter and tastes it. He, says, he spits it out. We're in the process. We didn't put the sugar yet. We didn't put the yeast yet. You're eating it before it's done. So therefore, if you look at it like that, it's the mashal. But the Olam says, listen, ultimately the picture is this. But to get there... We have to add ingredients and do certain things. So in the middle of the process, it looks. I think Rebbe Khanan Vasiman gave the following mashal. There was a kid. He was from the city. His father sent him for two, two years to go live on a farm. What does a city boy know from the farm? The first morning he's there, the farmer wakes the kid up at 5 a.m. 
That's when they have to go. Well, and the uh, farmer puts him on a tractor, and he starts plowing the ground. The kid says, "This guy is a is a is a is a crazy man. He wakes up five in the morning to destroy his ground." Meaning, forget about the fact that he's destroying his ground. Okay, that's already sick enough. But to come along and take machinery and make holes in his ground, and he gets up early to do this, and after he does it, he's very happy at the result. So the kid asks the guy, what are you doing? You were never on a farm. There's no way I can explain this to you. Come on. The next day, he sees that uh, he has kernels. He tells, uh, the kid says to the guy, what are these kernels? This is wheat. Ah, wheat, wheat I know. That I heard of. So okay, good. tomorrow morning at 5 a.m., we're going to have to deal with these wheats. What happens? He takes the wheat at 5 o'clock in the morning, the farmer, starts throwing them into the dirt. The kid says, it's crazy. This wheat over here is the food of man. And now we throw him into the dirt. And every morning, he's doing something more odd than the next. The next morning, they wake up, and now there's buckets of dung. The kid says, now what are we doing? Now we're going to pour the dung on the wheat that we threw in the ground. <laughs> Crazy. The guy's in between, he's scared to wake up. Because every morning the guy does something more ridiculous than the day before. A couple of months later, stalks of wheat start to come out of the ground. The kid tells the guy, uh, I judged you too, too quickly. I didn't realize. He says, doesn't the field look much nicer now with these stalks, gorgeous orange, gold stalks, golden wheat coming out of the ground? Then it just, uh, he's okay. You were right. Five in the morning, they get up. He has a sickle. He starts cutting them all down. Says, oh, we're waiting for this moment for six months. You finally have something in the ground that grew. Now you're cutting it? Now the ground looks worse than it was. Okay, he's back to not understanding. Finally, they take all these wheats. And he says, uh, now what? He takes the wheats, he puts them in the grinder. And he starts to pulverize it. Now he turned these beautiful kernels into what? Into flour. So what is this flour? What's the purpose over here? Sure enough, he adds some water, puts it in the oven. He says, here you go. He says, oh, this I know. This is bread. This I get from the bakery. He says, yeah, but you never saw the process. This is the end product. The end product looks like this. But to get to a beautiful, delicious bread, there's plowing. There's grinding. There's fertilizing. There's a uh, 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 reaping. Every one of those processes to the amateuristic eye makes no sense. So it's the same thing that a Kedush Baruch Hu says, at the end I have the result, the loaf of bread. So don't ask me during the process why this is happening and why that's happening. Just like a kid cannot ask his mother in the middle of baking the souffle, it doesn't look like anything like the picture in the cookbook supposed to look like. Let me finish the process, and it'll look like that. That's our belief. So even though you see the guy on the way, I'll get sick, and the guy loses money, and it, don't worry, that's, that, that, we're baking the bread. Somehow, at the end, all this is going to show you 
a lollipop. All it's going to show you is strawberry shortcake. But it doesn't look like it. But I'm giving you examples from life that you see that, that that's how it works. That sometimes you have to go to... Everybody knows that the seed, when you put it in the ground, it decomposes first. Only after the seed decomposes, then it already can start to, to grow. So it seems that Klaiyasil had to also decompose before they can become a nation. So they went to Egypt. We decomposed in Egypt. And then as the seed was about to decompose the last minute, what else? Okay, now the growth spurt's going to happen. So that's the process. But you cannot separate the uh, result from the process or the process from the result. God forbid if somebody not, doesn't believe in God, they call him his kotsets ot. What does kotsets ot mean? Kotsets ot means he cuts the he cuts the, the tree. Why would that be the the, 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 the mashal of the of the of the kofir? Kotsets ot. A God does kotsets ot. Why is it kofir? Because the believer believes that everything is attached to the shortish. When a guy's kotsits netiot, he's basically saying this event is not connected to the ground. It's not connected to the shortish elyon. So therefore, he's making a pirud between the event and the shortish. So the way we refer to pirud is kotsits benetiot. We conclude, Rabotai. Shedefi amitat ta'anyan. Now, I cannot explain it to you why it has to be that way, but he says, Again, there's all the wisdom of God. Far be it from us why the souffle has to be look like this, you know, before it's finished. Uh, at the end of It's like the story of Yosef going down to Egypt. At the end, everybody realized, oh, now we know why it had to happen. To get the Jewish people to go down to Mitzrayim. But as it's happening, it doesn't make any sense. Which means it's not enough to say that God is one in Mitzi'ut. Which means... Many people think that when we say Shema Yisrael Echad, it just means that there's no entity besides God. But we have to understand that there's no other Sholet or Moshel or nobody that can interfere with God's will. Not even the Rasha, not even the God gave them the power. And nobody can stop His will. You understand? A person might come along and say, well, the Rasha, God can... God can what, Hitler had any, any, any power over God? That was part of God's plan to empower this Rasha. Uh, and the day that it was supposed to finish, the how he died, like, like, like an animal in a bunker, committed suicide probably. Yeah. When, when his time was up, we're not, we're not get rid of him. Aye. So the atheist comes and says, yeah, but how would he have such... That's part of the... Uh, the souffle got really ugly. Uh, terribly ugly. But that's up... And then we don't know the reason for that yet. That's something that remains... Unbeknownst, why that tikkun had to happen, uh, and how could it be justified that a good God, but ultimately the belief says is ehad, even that is ehad, and nobody was able to do anything against His will, unless Bore Olam, you know, allowed this <coughs> process to take place. For the uh, why did some people get saved and some people didn't get saved? 
it's all part of the process. Why did this guy survive Auschwitz and the other guy didn't survive it? There has to be a, 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 a tremendous reason for everything. Let's read uh, one more paragraph. God created the bad in the world in order that a person could nullify it. To give you free will to nullify. If there was no bad in the world, you wouldn't have free will. So the free will is created in order for us to nullify the, 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 the bad, in order that we can do the good. So he says, Sometimes the bed even has the guy locked up, especially people that get involved in addictions and stuff like that. So it gives you a, um, a lesson over here, basically, that says that um, we learned earlier the purpose of mankind is to overcome the bad and to reveal the Yehud of Hashem in the world. That God gave us that job. Borei Olam says, I'm putting bad in the world and I'm giving you the ability to clear it away through your good deeds. Otherwise we can get reward. We cannot get sakhar uh, for our... If everything was obvious, so then uh, there would be no free will and there would be no sakhar ve'onish. So even though there's a lot of bad in the world and there's negative... And, and, and the, the, the amazing thing is God gives us the ability to rebel against them. You would think that every time a person turns on a light on Shabbat, he should get electrocuted. He doesn't. He turns on the light on Shabbat, and the light goes on, and he benefits. So then a person comes along and says, you see, yeah, but through the Shumrei Shabbat, <coughs> we're able to push away a lot of evil, and bring the light of the... And that, that's what Hashem wants. So that's part of the process as well. You shouldn't think that the power of evil is a stira. On the contrary, the power of evil is... is, is like it says in the Pasuk, that when God created the world, it says, V'hineh tov. V'hineh tov, ze yetzer tov. Me'od, ze yetzer ara. That the yetzer ara is called tov me'od. Because <coughs> without the yetzer ara, you wouldn't have any, uh, any, any, any free will. So that's a, uh, the purpose is to bevatel the ra. And that's what he says over here. Uh, <coughs> that sometimes a person is uh, punished by the bad, to the sins that he did, where he's tested by all these negative things, especially in our generation, we know all the tests that the, the youth have. What do you mean the youth? How about all of us? Yeah, but it started when you were young. Sure did. And that's what he says over here. 
ושורש כל ביטול הרע והעברתו והקבע, נקרא כל מיני בטוב וגילוי אמיתי של ‫הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-הוא-ה
Correct. The short is called Bitulara. We're actually up to Vine. Vine Klala Hanaga. Shalaulam Mazer, Mithaleket Hanagata Yom and Agata Laila. Okay. So the way the world was divided, there's the the system of the day and then the system of the night. So every morning there's a new group of angels that take over the new uh, the new cycle and every night so there's different uh, systems, the night system, the day system, like you're, you're changing the changing of the gods, exactly, different shifts in the heavens. Based on the way God established it, we learned it actually in Gemara, Berachot. Uh, He's going to explain now why you have to say Kiryat Shema in the morning and the evening. It's the only mitzvah really that you're obligated to do it in the morning and the evening. No mitzvot is like that. Lulav, you do once a day. Sukkah, okay, it's not morning and evening, whatever you eat. Tefillin, once a day. Kiryat Shema, specifically, they want you to do it baboker uba'erev. Why? So he says, Kifir, ve'ulam anachnu b'nei Yisrael, nithayavnu la'ir al-amitat yuhudo yidbarach, we, the Jewish people, who believe in the oneness of the Kadosh Baruch Hu. So anytime there's a changing of the gods to a different system, I guess they didn't want you to think, oh, now it's the God of night. Now it's the God of the... No. When the night comes, we say it's the same God. Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. When the day comes, we don't come along and say, oh, this is a new God. The God of the, like the Greeks. They came along and they make a God for everything. So every time there's a change of the, of the system... We have to reaffirm our belief in the oneness of Yehudoit Barak. That's a nice explanation why we have Kiryat Shema, Babokir, Uba'irim. Understand? So he says, Pirush ben bibihinata mitsiuchu libadua matsuya mukrah. So we're coming along to say that God is the, uh, is the only real reality, the only real mitsiut, and everything that comes into the world comes from his reality. Anything that is, remember that lesson. Everything that's nimsa, nimsa, comes from God. Ubotuluim means they are dependent on God. God is not dependent on anyone. Put that in your brain. He gives the energy for the world to exist. Now, God controls everything. Ultimately, God is the shalit. Now, even though you say, well, he gave an angel a job, look at it as a president that has veto power. At the end, God could take away the power that he gave and change it so ultimately the final decision is always from God, even though he, he, he delegated but at the end of the day 
the buck stops by God. God's controlling all of this. Even the angel that's doing a shilihut cannot do that shilihut without God giving him the ability to do it. So that's the way it works. Now, by the way, even the bad that's being done can only be done from the will of God. So to a certain degree, I mean, you can philosophize on this, and even someone's doing bad, ultimately have to say that bad is Ritzon Hashem, because (laughs) if it wasn't the Ritzon Hashem, you couldn't have done it. What could be the Ritzon Hashem in the bad, unless you say that the purposes of the bad is so that Tzadik can come and mevatel it, to, to, to get rid of it, so you have free will. So you have, but that you have to understand, even the bad cannot be done unless Hashem willed it. You know, we're not going to say a vinoam before you do an avera. <laughs> but ultimately that is the ritzon. Yeah. You have to know that word ritzon. But God obviously doesn't want you to do bad, but you couldn't do the bad unless God allowed you to do the bad. Yeah. So that's, to some degree, one day we'll have to philosophize on that. It's a very... He wills. I mean, he doesn't want you to do bad, obviously, but the fact that a bad is done... It could only be done because God allowed it to be done. Even though, of course, you're going to get punished for it. But that has to be um, philosophized by Zat Hashem. Anyway, Exactly. Any kawah can only ultimately come from the kawah from Hashem. Even though it's trickling down, when you go back to the shortage, you see it's all God. This moves this, this moves this, this moves this, this moves that. But ultimately, it all comes back to the Kawa of the Kadosh Baruch Hu. It's unbelievable. God is turning everything. But God wants to bring the, the world to. Even now we don't see it. So we cannot explain, you know, what the, uh, what the benefit of uh, Russia annexing the Crimea. And we cannot understand, you know, uh, what uh, uh, Azerbaijan is doing in their government. And we don't know why... You know, uh, uh, there's a famine in this, but but ultimately, at the end, you're going to see why all this was part of a system to bring the world to ultimately. Exactly, that's the best way to say. Okay. At the end, again, the parasha of Yosef is the best example to this. Well, you didn't understand what was going on with Yosef. The brothers sold him. He went out to Egypt. He's in jail. Yaakov's home crying. Moreolam says, I have a plan. I got to get the Jews down to Egypt. And I got to get them down there in a respectful way. So later on, you saw that all that was God's... Now, look how many things happened. There was a famine that breaks out in one part of the world. And there's a plenty in another part of the world. So the people of Kena'a need to go to Mitzrayim for food. All those things are part of a master plan. Now, if you would ask the economist, 
Why is there a famine in Canaan? They'll give you 101 reasons why there's a famine. Because of the inflation rate, because of the crop, because of El Nino, because of the Farmer's Almanac, because of a million reasons. And if somebody would come along as a pundit on Fox News and say, I think the reason is because God needs to move the family of Yaakov, who's living in this famine-stricken land, to Egypt. I tell you, you know, that's not the way they teach us in Harvard. That's not the way they teach us in the Ivy League schools. You have to give a, a secular reason. But ultimately, we believe that everything, now, at the end of the day, when you saw the family of Yaakov move down to Egypt, that theory now has uh, strong grounds. Now, now, what sounded ridiculous when he said it, at the end of the story, you say, well, it makes a lot of sense because the Jews eventually would become slaves in Egypt and they only came down because of the famine. So therefore you see, Baruch Abba Legabra Rabba. Rav Tadgi Baruch Abba. Shevitanu. So he says, Veineh, Uh, so he says, Ki I'm reading now outside the book. It's possible to make the following mistake. Please do not make this mistake. God created all the creatures. But then he gave them the power to, to do what they want, to run their own destiny. The king doesn't do everything himself. He delegates. Now, when the king delegates, he doesn't have power of what the guy's doing. The king's a human being. He delegates jobs. Even though he delegates, he's controlling the delegate as he's doing it. You understand? So even though we gave the sun a job, but the sun cannot rise and the moon cannot come out, and that's the Kadosh Baruch Hu allows it. And ultimately the goal is the revelation of God's... Uh, of God's greatness at the end. That's, that's the, God's bringing the world to the ultimate revelation. That's what we're waiting for. For this, this moment of revelation when Mashiach comes, and then we'll see how all this for 6,000 years, what was going on, was to bring us to this, to this moment. God, like we said, is not dependent on anybody. We are dependent. We're dependent on our parents. We're dependent on money. We're dependent on food. We're dependent on the weather. We're dependent on a lot. Of course, you should only put your dependence on God. But God is not dependent on anything. However, you see, we have a problem because God is called the king. And uh, when you talk about a king, you cannot be a king unless you have a nation. So that goes against what we're saying. We're saying that God is not dependent 
on anybody. But then we call him a melech. Now, how can you be a melech if you don't have subjects? Can you call somebody that's alone melech? Melech to what? Melech implies that you're ruling over, over something. But I thought God is not dependent on anyone. So he's got to square that off. God is Mukhrah Mitsad Atzmo. Doesn't need anybody for his uh, 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 reality. He has no uh, connection or relationship that he's dependent on. Of course, There's nothing that a Kadosh Baruch Hu is dependent on. Nothing. Which means, even though everybody gives God kavod, he needs that kavod. You're doing mitzvot to God. God needs those mitzvot? No. He doesn't need those mitzvot. You think, you, you think you're doing God a favor when he says, do me the mitzvah, and if you don't do the mitzvah, it affects God? It <coughs> only affects your person. Azak There's no tziruf, meaning there's no, like the goyim believe in the, the father, the mother, the ghost, the daughter. We don't believe in that. We don't believe in shituf, that God needs. So he says, We just said there's a way we refer to that. Nikra'eu b'shem Eloa Baruchu. Eloa. That's that terminology. Dehainu, what does it mean? Hamatsui hamukrah mitzad atzmo. Reality is intrinsic, not based on anything else. Uchmosh zachanu ve'omnam biyot shiratsa ubaran nivraim. Now he created nivraim. Didn't have to. Did we make God any better? Of course not. God was fine. We don't make God any better or worse by us being created. It doesn't affect Hashem whatsoever. He doesn't become a bigger God or a better God. God is a mitziut amitit. doesn't need us. But he decided to create nivraim. And we are dependent on him. Mitziutam. Understand this? So our relationship to God, we call him Adon. God himself, who doesn't need us, is called Eloa. Eloa means he's a standalone, doesn't have any dependency on any creature, any person, or any angel. That's called Eloa, Baruch Hu. Our reference to God is 
we refer to him as Adon. Adon means we're dependent on him. Which is Hadush. That our relationship with God is Adon. Okay? So that's a very, very important yesod. You have to drill that in your mind. Now listen to this. Besides creating us and making us dependent on him, he wanted to do us a kindness. God does not have to be mitiyahes to us. Mitiyahes means to have a relationship with us. What was God lacking? You know, if you have a you have a guy that's not married, single guy, and he's uh, alone, and he needs to talk to people, so he's always running around trying to chew somebody's ear off in order to gain some uh, company. So he needs you. Akadosh Baruch Hu didn't have loneliness. He's like, you know, I'm so lonely, nothing, I'm bored. He's got his so, you know what? I'm bored. Let me create some people to keep me busy so I could, you know, have a hobby. It's not a hobby. But Allah was not bored. Which means you cannot say that he created the world out of need. Because then you're saying God needs something. God doesn't need anything. He didn't create it out of necessity. Because then you're saying that God was mukhrah, as if he was forced. God's not forced to do anything. He decided to create the world as total chesed, not that it makes him any better. Furthermore, God is so humble that he said, you know what? I'm going to allow myself to have a relationship with these creatures that I created. What does he need it for? He doesn't need it. And God's God, and we can even have the fathom what God is. And this God's so humble that he allows himself to have communication, communication and uh, closeness with people that he created. Amazing. It's an amazing uh, humble humility of God. It's crazy, crazy, crazy uh, level here. Can understand it. No. So he says, Exactly. Which is even though, what relationship can we have with God? We're not, we're not connected uh, it's not like a man that marries a wife there's a certain connection what, what relationship can a human being so low so God wanted the relationship to be like a king to a nation that the nation has a relationship to the king he wanted like a king that gets kabod from his nation you know, when the nation does something good, yeah, the king gets... Uh, now, now, God didn't need it, but he created that system for us. You think God needs the kavod that way we're getting? But he created the system in humility in order for us to have a relationship with him that our, our behavior will give God pride. Pride that he doesn't need. 
pride that he didn't have to have, pride that he doesn't care for. But he created it in a system that we could relate to him for our benefit. When you have a lot of Jews get together to do something good, Hadrat Melech, the king gets pride. So we call him the king. But don't make the mistake that if you call him the king, as if you think that he needs you. No, he allowed himself to be treated like that. No. No. So we're obligated to uh, to serve him like a king. The nation has to serve him. You have to recognize this every single day. And we have to accept his kingdom upon us every day. That's a key item. Normally there's a coronation ceremony for a king once a year. We have Rosh Hashanah, which is the official coronation. But we also have the minor coronation ceremony, which is done every day during Kiryat Shema, that we accept upon ourselves all Malchut Shamayim, the yoke of heaven. And we have to accept upon ourselves all mitzvot. Every day you have to say, I accept upon myself God as our king, and I accept upon myself his obligations. That's Olam, we say in the prayers, Asher Malach. When was God the king? Beterem kol yitzid nivra. Even if anybody was created, God was king. Number one. Don't think for a second we made God king. When God was lacking something? God is Adon Olam, Asher Malak, Beterim Kol Yitzid Nivra, before any Yitzid was created. Because God could have created people at any time that He wanted. He just chose not to do it, for whatever reason. He decides when the Malchut is going to start, He decides when the Malchut is going to end. So that's the uh, that's the Kabbalah of Kiryat Shema that's done every morning when the Hanagah of the day takes over and every night when the Hanagah of the night takes over we have to stand in allegiance like in the army and we have to give a uh, salute you know the, the soldiers have to report to the general twice a day in the morning they have to stand for the general I accept upon myself the yoke of the uh, the king and I accept upon all the orders that he's going to command me. Okay, fine. He works the whole day. Gets dark. They come back to the barracks. Then you have to say, accept upon myself. The yoke of heaven. God is king. So that's all makut shamayim. That's uh, our responsibility to be done 
in the day and night. Okay, we'll stop over here. Fantastic. Three. <coughs> Dalit. We're still in Kiryachema. Halek Dalit Peregima. When God, His presence will be revealed to everybody. And all His creatures will be, uh, admit to the existence of God. And that God created them. Like we say in the Tefillah of Rosh Hashanah. When that day comes, Rabotai, so So then in the creation, all good will come down. And there'll be peace. The Berebaracha will be mitrabet. So it sounds like a, uh, a great time. A great time. It's so world peace. Prosperity. However, when you have a generation like in our generation, where the servants do not modere uh, and they don't subjugate themselves to the kingdom, so you're lacking, there's a deficiency of good. And darkness uh, gets uh, more intense. And evil reigns. I guess, you know, it's midah connected midah. God says, if you don't recognize me, so why should I bring the berakhah down to you? You're on your own. So therefore the world goes into uh, darkness. And it affects all the parts of creation. God's kingdom, whether it's known or not known, that's clear. Which means, clearly, our behavior affects this revelation through the observance of mitzvot and averot. <clears throat> so everything starts in the upper worlds and trickles down to our world. <laughs> 
שאם יהיה טעם שיופיע בורא יתברק במלכותו וימלוך על עולמו, יימשך מזה הטוב והנאה והשווה גדולה לנבראים. Right? The bed will only be used for, for good things. For example, food, which could be a bad thing, will be used for Shabbat, and so on and so forth. We'll use all the, the negatives for positive. But if God forbid the people are not doing the mitzvot, and there's not the revelation, here's what's called the sterpanis. God, he conceals himself. You don't see his kawah. And he gives the ra a chance to to uh, to rule. Whatever comes out. So basically, that's all the bad in the world. So that's a big thing over here. So so basically. Averot and, 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 and the denial of God and not accepting his kingdom causes him to move away. And once he moves away, it allows the forces of evil that he created to come in and uh, attack. So it sounds like it's a very simple equation. Accept upon yourself God. Keep the Shabbat. Eat kosher. Keep family purity. Behave. Don't speak Lashonara. And the world will be uh, a tremendous place. Why is the world so dangerous and so violent the way it is? Only because people are not accepting upon themselves the Olmalchut of Hashem. That's why it's such a troubled world. <coughs> Basically, where there's a vacuum of God, where God pulls away, so the snakes and scorpions come in. But in a place where the revelation of God is so strong, the Kiddipot have, no, uh, have, no, have no place. So then he says, that the Jewish people contribute a great contribution to the world. What is that? Every morning, the Jewish people come along and say, Rabotai, Shema Yisrael, there's a God, and He is the omnipotent God, and He's watching, and He's supervising, and this God is one, and there's no other force, and we accept upon ourselves His Malchut. We are his servants. At that moment when the Jew does that in the morning, we call that Kabbalat Olmachut Shamayim. At that point, God says, You recognize that I'm the king? God comes down. Now, what happens when God reveals himself? All of a sudden, the forces of evil dissipate. That means that every morning at Zman Kiryat Shema, you're doing a great service to the world. The world is much safer after Zman Kiryat Shema than before. Before you accept the Panyas of Omachut Shamaim, the Kohotara have tremendous, uh, tremendous power. After you say Kiryat Shema, so the more a person accepts upon himself this revelation, so God reveals himself, and the Kohotara dissipate. And the whole world gets a Beracha. So Rabotai, 
Uh, n- nobody should ever uh, question, you know, what are they doing by coming to shul in the morning and reading Shema? Yeah, what's, uh, you're helping the whole world. The world is a safer place. Before Kiryat Shema, code red. After Kiryat Shema, you move it down to orange, yellow. You bring berachah to the world. God will answer us. Of course, every day, another tikkun, uh, you know, it's, it's a process. takes time. You get to the final tikkun. The goal is that God wants to bring the world to its ultimate perfection, to the ultimate good. Uh, that's what God's purpose is. God wants to bring the Mashiach, wants to redeem everybody. So that's an incredible moment, the time of Kiryat Shema. What you have to understand now. Exactly. The tikkun has to come through humans, through us. Now, of course, God, if you want to, you can come along and sprinkle the world with uh, pure water, and the world will become pure. But the tikkun has to come through human intervention. Already set the, set the machine that the world will lead to its ultimate tikkun. That's God is guiding that. God could have done this man. God could have done this uh, on autopilot, where he just pushes the button, and the world will ultimately reach uh, its destination, like a Tesla. But Hashem said. I want this to be Tesla's a, is, a, is a car that you don't need to, it's just driven by itself. But over here, cars, I want it to be done manually. You can fly the plane two ways. You can fly it autopilot or you can fly it manually. What else? I could have put it on autopilot and the world is going to reach its tikkun. However, I want it to be done through human intervention. So basically, we have a tremendous power that God gave us that it's in our ability, through our actions, through our service, through our behavior. To actually move the world. You remember that uh, picture of uh, Atlas holding the uh, globe? Yeah. So basically, the Jew, when he's involved in Torah Mitzvot, he's moving the globe, he's moving the universe towards the ultimate. You pray Sha'alita Simon, you put on Tefidin, you said Kiryat Shema, you're learning now, which is the highest tikkun. Now, somebody might say, these guys sitting in this shul over here, reading these words, they're not really contributing too much to, to, to anything that's really happening in the world. But the guys, if you go to Fox News studios in New York, and they're discussing, you know, world politics and impeachment, and they're discussing, you know, the Middle East and Gaz, oh, those guys are, uh, they're, they're doing nothing. That's Haki Balash. They're just talking nonsense, and their words do nothing the ultimate tikkun because they've been talking for the past hundred years and the problems are still there, nothing changed. It's getting worse. Exactly. But if you come to here, to this Fox News room called the synagogue, and we're learning, 
So if you know what this learning does to the whole entire world in regards to bringing it step closer to the ultimate redemption, the ultimate good, so then uh, you'd feel very, very, very... And God said, I'm giving you that power. God could have said, listen, I'm not gonna, it's too important, this uh, tikkun, to let humans uh, be, have their hand in it. You know, you know what? Sometimes you, 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 you're making a certain food for Shabbat and your kid wants to help. The mother says, listen, we're having company. I don't want you to mess it up. Next week when we don't have company, you can help me make the food. This week, I got to do it myself to make it right. God can say, listen, I don't want you even, uh, to be involved in this tikkun. It's a very important tikkun. But he says, no. He says, Adam. Which means, because it's good for us. Which means, listen, it's much more beneficial for us, Rabbi Moshe Haim Lutzato says, that if we bring the perfection through our actions, then if it happens by itself. Because then you're getting a gift. And nobody wants to get a gift for nothing. Exactly. Uh, if you earn it, yeah. so earning it, there's a certain uh, there's a certain pleasure in earning what you're. Uh, understand? Yotam beruim atzmam ba'ale shelimutam. They own their shelimut. K'moch zachan v'nimsa shezekol ikaram shedevarim ele. Which means, the way you make the world shalem is by making yourself shalem. Let's look at the human being as a microcosm of the whole world. So literally, look at yourself as the whole world. Because a guy's going to say to himself, how can I fix China? How can I fix, uh, you know, all these countries that are so far away? You don't have to. By fixing yourself, you yourself are a microcosm of the entire world. Therefore, when you have a shlemuta adam, kizikola adam, already you metaken the world itself. It's a, it's a big item. He says in the bottom here, I know. I just want to make sure that we got to that yet. I'm coming up. Tremendous line. V'inek kevar bi'arnu b'chelik arishon sheshlemut amiti shel abriyahu mashich la mishlemut troyit barach kiul b'dor shlemut. Obviously, perfection of this world can only come from God, who is perfect. V'ulam gamze mitoldot hamitzvah zot shebe'ha'idenu. Wow. So basically he's saying that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the Shalem Amiti. And he's the Mekor of the Shalemut. When a person accepts upon himself Machut Shamayim, he makes himself a vessel a receptacle that can receive the Shlemut of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Shef of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Devekut. 
And the more he attaches himself to God through accepting upon himself all Malchut Shemam and doing the mitzvot, and the more he is mevatel himself to Kadosh Baruch Hu, so God is mashpia more. The more you think of your ego, the less God brings down to you. So therefore, when a person says Shema Yisrael, everything is you, God. Everything is Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Ehad. The stronger that knowledge is, the more power you're going to get. So it's very, 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 very important. That's a, it's a big key over here. So basically, anytime you say Shema Yisrael in the morning or in the evening, and the more that you believe it and come to the realization of what you're saying, the more you'll be directly influenced from that chef of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Which means, based on your hitbatlut, hitbatlut means your subjugation to God, that's how much shefa you're going to get from God. It's basically, uh, uh, we'll say it like this. Where can I fit more water? In a 10-foot pool? In a, in, in a pool that was dug 10 feet? Or in a pool that was dug 8 feet? Obviously, 10 feet, you could fit more water. So the lower a person goes, the more he can receive. The higher a person is, the less he can receive. So if when a person lowers himself to God to the degree that he lowers himself, that's how much God is going to come and mashpia on him and attach himself and will reach tremendous, tremendous levels. So every morning when your person should just think of the following, at least to start. Let's start with that. Even if it's just words. I'm accepting upon myself the kingdom of God. Now, when you get a little more mature, you start to say, what does that mean? You cannot accept the kingdom of God without accepting His rules. Without accepting His, uh, you know, talk is cheap. You have to back it up by accepting upon Himself then all mitzvot. That therefore, whatever God says to do, I'm going to do. And whatever He says not to do, I'm not going to do. That's right. So that's, that's tremendous. And at that point, you receive a tremendous amount of per- perfection on yourself and you bring perfection to the world and uh, the more you think about these things the more benefit a person gets it's incredible basically you're making yourself a receptacle to receive the chef of Baruch Hu. You know, all this is good in theory. Until somebody does something to you, and then all this goes out the window. And then you say, oh, he did that to me, I'll get him back. You know, wise guy, look what he did. And what happened to Hashem, and everything's from Hashem. Yeah, that, that, that's all good when we're learning it in the book. When you're in shul. When you're in shul, all these things are very good. But when you leave, and a guy does this to you in business, and a guy, eh, then you come along and say, ah, leave God on the side now. This is not from God. This guy's... Ah, and then you forget all your... Uh, all that everything is from Hashem. And then you start to want to control the world. And you want to, you know, handle it. And then God says, oh, what happened to the Shema Yisrael? Do you accept it upon my... I'm the king. If you are to keep putting God's in, God's the king. Handle it. God's the king. And you're a servant. Go to the king then. What do you, what do you, what do you have to go and do nonsense? 
you have a connection with the king. Go tell the king, I accept it upon yourself. I'm your servant. I'm getting picked on over here. Go, uh, go take care of it for me. King says, okay, you accept it upon myself. Uh, you accept it upon yourself. I'll handle it for you. You know, you're my subject. I'll take care of it for you. But exactly. But then God says, hold it. The guy's a faker. In the morning he said, I'm his God. And it doesn't even come to me. It doesn't come to me. You understand? You don't come to me in friendship. I'm giving you now an alert. Hidush alert. We are now about to hear one of the greatest Hidushim that you're going to hear in this series of Derech Hashem. We've said it, but now we have a source for it. He says over here that when a person during the Kiryat Shema accepts upon himself mentally to give his life up for God that even if they're going to kill him he's willing to give himself up for God he's willing to be Moshe Nefesh for God and he's willing to give everything up for Kadosh Baruch which is that's how his, his commitment is so strong that he's willing to sacrifice everything for Kadosh Baruch Hu. You know what that means also? That you're willing, you're willing to let people make fun of you. You don't care. When they come along and they say, uh, oh, you're religious, you don't eat out, well, you became a Sadiq, look at you, you wear a t-shirt to shoe in the morning, hey, you don't eat out, where do you think you are, well, big shot, you became a Sadiq. The wise guys, the scoffers. And so they pick on the guys and our members. They come along and say, oh, you go to Ruby, you sit on the mixed beach, but you don't eat because you kosher over there, you're a hypocrite, they make fun, they like to make fun. <coughs> you're a big Sadiq all of a sudden. You know, uh, we know you, 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 when you were young, you used to do all these things, all of a sudden you became, uh, you sit with Rabbi Mansour, you're reading like you're allowed to give you. Who are you? What are you? That's part of Mesirut Nefesh. You have to be willing to accept the abuse. You have to be willing to accept the shame. You have to be willing to accept the criticism. You have to be willing to accept the cynicism of people that will make fun of you and try to, try to tear you down. If I shame, I'm willing to take the abuse. You're right, I'm not perfect. But whatever I'm doing, I'm doing as much as I can. And that much that I'm doing, I'm going to do by Mr. Nefesh. I'm not going to let a guy make fun of me but a lot of people, not like our members, our members Baruch Hashem have self-confidence. But some members, some members, they have a low self-esteem, and once, once somebody gives them a little comment, they want to conform. They don't want to, they don't want to be socially ostracized. They don't want to be, you know, looked at by their friends, because their friends are such geniuses, and their friends are such important people, 
and this, their friends are you know, are such uh, valuable people. God, we should look, we should look bad in their eyes. Who are they? They don't go, they're, they're not. They're just as human as you. So why, why would you give credence to somebody that's jealous and somebody that's coming from the wrong place? And because they give you a remark, like they tell the woman, you know, you're wearing a wig. Who are you to wear a wig? Covering your hair. When did you there? They like to knock. So in Shema Yisrael in the morning, we say to God, I'm willing to serve you at all costs. Not today, even if they kill me. Because we're not going to kill you for being Jewish. But even if they embarrass me, even if they make fun of me, when you see a guy uh, you know, walking in the city, and he takes his glasses off so he doesn't have to look. I'm willing to take the... I'm willing to look uh, a little different. But it's to serve you, Hashem? I don't care about my Adam. I'm nothing. I'm serving, the, I'm, I'm serving the king. Understand? So the people that serve God like that, that's Mesirut Nefesh. But he says a Hidush here. Even just accepting it is as if you did it. So in Kiryat Shema in the morning, if I say to God in my brain, Bore Olam, I'm willing to die for you. God says, you did it. You just did it. The mental thought is as if you actually, you know, you know we talk about virtual? We call it a virtual reality. That the virtual becomes a reality. It's a big hadush, by the way. I'm reading it inside here now. He says, Unbelievable. And it's a big tikkun for the world when there's misirut nefesh, we know. Misirut nefesh is, uh, you know, the breaking of the piñata, then all the candy comes out, that's the breaking of the piñata. When you have misirut nefesh, boom, the shefa comes right down. So when a person just accepts upon himself, forget about doing it. If he does it, forget about it. So in the morning, when you say Shema, it's Hashem HaKashem Had. If you look in our Sidur, the Dalid, it's big. And it says underneath it, accept upon yourself Sekila, Serefa, Herig, and Hanik. Accept upon yourselves mentally the four punishments of Beddin. And by accepting upon yourself that misidut nefesh, and that you're willing to die al kiddush Hashem, that even if the guim come along and they beat you up, and they come along and they make fun of you, and they come along and they chastise you, and that, on the contrary, on the day that you're doing a religious act and somebody comes along and, uh, you know, embarrass you or a goy comes along and uh, abuses you, that's your lucky day. Because on that day you served God, misidut nefesh. God says, well, what a loyal soldier. The guy got abused for serving me. Wow, that's a, you know, it's not comfortable what he's doing over here. Now, who's stronger? The guy that spit on you or God? Of course, God. So what are you worried about? Borealam sees that abuse that you got. And Borealam says, he's a good soldier. Now he gets another stripe on his, uh, on his, uh, on, 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 on his own uniform. The guy, another, another medallion. He, for the boss. Or for the boss, doing it for God. But you cannot be worried about what the people are going to say. So he says... Great ramifications. So that's uh, again, misirut nefesh is one of those things that um, really benefit the whole entire uh, the whole entire way. Everything in kabanot in the sidur. Anytime God's about to bring a great shefa down. You'll always look in the Siddur, it says you have to accept upon yourself mentally, Misirut Nefesh. Then the Shefa comes down. 
So Kiryat Shema, you're doing that as well. You have to say things of I love God, and if I love God, I'm willing to give my money for God. Some guy says, Well, you're spending all your money on uh, on uh, this and that to make for one guy, a Syrian guy, came to me and says, uh, How much did you pay for that uh, pound of matzah? Shemurah was 80. I don't pay to be religious. Wow. You don't pay to be religious. Okay. No, exactly. What does he pay for? He pays to be stupid. He spends $18 on a spaghetti pomodoro that costs the, 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 the store two cents. Spaghetti pomodoro costs two cents. But he paid $18 for it. He's all excited. That, that he for. But for mitzvah, he won't spend. So you have to be willing to be more sin nefesh, more sin your money, Moser, you have to be willing to give up your, your urges. It means if you have an urge to do something, part of Mesidut Nefesh is to sacrifice that urge and don't do it. That's Mesidut Nefesh. God wants to do something, but God says don't do it. So if you give in, so then the urge is your master, not God. But if you subjugate that urge to do the will of God, so then God is the king. God says, wow, look at that. He really serves me. He gave up something. He gave up his desire. He gave up. A guy's very hungry, and he sees something not kosher in front of him, and he pushes it away. God says, wow, give him another, give him another stripe. It's supposed to say And that, that happens all day long, to look at something you're not supposed to, to say something you're not supposed to. Every time you control an urge, you're actually involved in this process called Okay, gentlemen, we're going to stop over here. We did a lot today. Uh, let's digest.